from Brown Cow Studios in Gallatin Gateway, Montana, this is News Nerds. I'm Ezra Graham. This week on News Nerds, we'll be speaking with Pulitzer Prize-winning writer Katherine Schultz. Her new book, Lost and Found, grapples with the loss and then later discovery in Katherine's recent life. The book is split into three sections, Lost, where she recounts the event of her father's death and her grief afterwards, Found, when we learn of her relationship with fellow New Yorker writer Casey Sepp, who is simply known as C in the book, and then the final section titled And, in which Schultz and Sepp get married. It's Wednesday, June 15th, and this is News Nerds. Writer Katherine Schultz won a 2016 Pulitzer Prize for her New Yorker article, The Really Big One, which focuses on the West Coast's risk for a devastating earthquake in the coming years. She's also the author of Being Wrong, Adventures in the Margin of Error. But today we'll be speaking about her memoir, Lost and Found, which delves into the loss of her father and then later her relationship with fellow New Yorker writer Casey Sepp, who is now Catherine's wife. Thank you so much for being with me. Thanks for having me on. So I think it's fair to say that uh, many authors have trouble either beginning or ending their books. And because the overall theme of your book being lost and then found can be bended in so many different ways, did you have, um, was it hard to begin and end your book? That's a great question. Uh, and, and not one I'm commonly asked, especially right out of the gate. Uh, it was, um, short answer is it was easy to end and difficult to begin. Um, I, uh, I knew actually, even before I sat down to write anything, how this book ended. Uh, one of, one of the great gifts of it is I understood kind of the superstructure of the book and I knew where I was going and I knew, uh, not only generally speaking, what, what came toward the end, but I literally knew kind of the, the last lines of the book. That was an immense relief. It's nice to know where you're going. Um, but I did not know how it began and actually probably the, the single greatest challenge, uh, as a, as a kind of technical matter, the greatest writing challenge of this book was figuring out how to get in. And in fact, I, probably tried a half a dozen different ways, maybe more than that, uh, before I settled on on the ultimate opening of the book. In the start of your book, um, there's a story of your great-grandparents who sent your grandmother to Palestine before World War II, and uh, your father was born there. And then later, your uh, that family immigrated to New York and then traveled further west. But while still in his youth, your father learned that all but one of his relatives in Poland had been uh, killed in the war and also his biological father had died. Um, did your father talk openly about his early life, even though it, it left scars in his, in his later life? He did not do so very much when I was young. Uh, I mean, I, I always knew the broad outlines of my father's childhood. Uh, I knew that he had been born in Tel Aviv when it was still part of Palestine. Um, I knew about, uh, I knew that the man who I knew as my grandfather was not uh, my biological grandfather. Uh, and I knew a little bit about kind of the horrors that the family had experienced, uh, both the extended family, which, you know, as you, as you know, um, most of whom died in Auschwitz uh, and, and some real violence that my father encountered uh, in, in trying to, when his family was trying to leave Tel Aviv uh, when uh, the, the war was going on in there in 1948, uh, after the second world war. So I, I knew about it. Like I knew the facts of the matter, but um, my dad did not 
talk very much about his childhood until he was in his 60s. So my, my sister and I were full grown by then. And um, it kind of almost out of nowhere, he became interested in learning more about his family background. He went back to Tel Aviv for the first time since he had left, uh, uh, basically, you know, uh, fled um, uh, with his family when he was only seven years old. And he went looking for more information about his biological father and uh, looking for his biological father's grave. And that was all a really interesting experience for me because by then I was, um, it was both intellectually and emotionally interesting. I mean, by then I was uh, working as a journalist, so he, he recruited my help in trying to figure out what kind of documentation or information we could find about his family, given the very, very scanty uh, kind of data points he had uh, from his mother and father and brothers. And then, of course, it was emotionally interesting to me that my dad, um, who, although exuberant about most things and happy to discuss most things at length, I really had shied away from talking about the more difficult parts of his life. It was interesting to me to watch him suddenly become quite interested in his childhood again and, and quite open about sharing his feelings and experiences. Why do you think he became more interested in his early life? It's a great question and I wish I knew the answer. You know, I, I'm sure some of it is really just age. You know, I think that Look, all of our interests change as we get older and, and the kinds of things that seem to matter to us or, or, or draw our attention evolve all the time. Uh, and, and I assume that for my father, some of it was a sense of, um, you know, of, of not having endless time left and, and wanting answers to certain questions. I think it's not uncommon as people get older for them to think again or more deeply or in different ways about their childhood uh, or, or to feel a kind of sense of urgency of, of being part of a kind of link in series of generations uh, as, they, as they feel the kind of, you know, baton passage of time as it were. Uh, but, but I don't know, I mean, he also, uh, my father wasn't, was not yet retired and he loved his job and he was very hardworking, but uh, he did at some point achieve a kind of emeritus state and I think, had slightly more time on his hands uh, than earlier uh, to, to think about such things. He also, you know, I think that in some ways, I, I think there's kind of two broad things that can happen as people age and, uh, you know, they can, I think, either become a little more brittle and battered <laughs> by life and its experiences, or, or they can become, uh, you know, more mellow and, and more at peace. And uh, my dad, who'd, who'd always been a very cheerful guy and a very loving guy, uh, I, I think became a more serene man for the most part as he aged. And I think he probably was able to contemplate things that had been very painful to him when he was younger uh, or, or, or that he had just chosen not to contemplate. I, I think he became able to see them with what we, you know, with what we call wisdom, right? You know, the, the great gift of age that, uh, that, that you do bring a kind of perspective or a kind of serenity to things that previously seemed very troublesome. So I, I can't answer it with exactitude, but I can say that it was certainly beautiful to see my father, who had always been curious about absolutely everything, uh, bring that curiosity to bear on his own life. So you're a writer and you write articles for The New Yorker, uh, and and your your uh, past book, and I'm wondering how did the grief that was that you uh, describe in your book and that surrounding your father's death, how did that influence your work, um, not only 
how late you would get your work done, how, how you're just disconnected from your work, but also the way in which you write. Did, did, did that style change at all? An interesting question. Uh, I suppose I'm probably not the best judge of it. You know, I, I'd be curious actually to hear my readers and my editors uh, respond to that, and, and they might bring to it insights that um, that I didn't. But you know, I, I think the major change is is the one that uh, resulted in this book coming into existence. You know, I um, I've never shied away from writing about myself. I've written a handful of semi personal essays, and and certainly there's plenty of first person in a lot of my writing and, and plenty of uh, a, a kind of um, opinionated uh, voice in a lot of my writing, but I hadn't written, you know, at great length and in, in quite intimate ways about my own life before. So I suppose that the, the kind of deepest answer to that question or the most significant change is that it did seem to propel me in this direction of wanting to really use these momentous moments from my own life, you know, the death of my father and falling in love with my partner as a way to write about these other broader, more universal questions that interested me about loss and about discovery. So let's talk about your partner. In the second part of your book, there's three parts. Um, you talk about how you met C, as you call her in the book, and uh, kind of an uh, to overlap the the two sections of your life uh, that you write about being lost and then being found do overlap because you met C before your father passed away. Um, I'm wondering if your father um, met C or her family and kind of uh, how he perceived her. Yeah, so I I um, I talk about this a little bit in the book, and and uh, it was one of the most joyful moments of my life. And one of the most fun parts of the book to write was the, the scene in which my father and my partner met for the first time, uh, which was really a delightful experience for me. Uh, I had, um, I'm, I'm from Ohio outside of Cleveland and I, not very long into our relationship, um, I brought my then relatively brand new girlfriend home to meet my parents, uh, which was really exciting. I mean, I did it uh, because even then I knew, I knew very, very early on uh, that I was crazy about this woman and that I hoped to have her in my life forever. And so, um, although in some ways it seemed rash because the relationship was so young, it also felt really right to introduce her to my parents. And uh, I was already mindful, very much so, that, that my father's health was not good and that I was, you know, none of us could know how much more time we had with him. So it seemed like a matter of some urgency for them to meet. Uh, and, and then they did and then it was really delightful. I think they um, they have two of the most formidable and also two of the most delightful intellects I've ever met. And it was incredibly fun to be uh, to be in a room with with those two minds, kind of meeting each other for the first time and getting to know each other. Uh, so so that was really fun. I'm sorry to say that uh, my father did not live long enough to meet any of the rest of her family, which I think is a, a great loss to us all. And I'm, I'm very grateful to my in-laws because I feel all the ways that they remark upon his life as they've learned about it for me and, and on his absence. And, and I know that they wish they could have met him. And I know uh, he, he would have felt the same way. So, you know, I wish we had all had a lot more time together, but I'm just indescribably grateful that uh, at, at a minimum, uh, my, my father and my partner, these two great loves of my life did get to me. You and C are both writers and 
uh, both at the New Yorker. And I was, I'm wondering if you ever came across her work or read her work in the um, before you met her in person. So at the time that we met, uh, that was not exactly the circumstances. So I joined the staff of the New Yorker in 2015, and which is the same year that we met. Uh, and then she at the time was working on a book, uh, which if your listeners haven't read, uh, they should prioritize over mine. It's, it's really fabulous. It's called Furious Hours. And it's about the very interesting life of Harper Lee in the decades after To Kill a Mockingbird when she tried to write a a true crime story. Um, so she was hard at work in that book. Uh, and it was not until after that came out, which was well into our relationship, that she joined the staff of The New Yorker. So we didn't come across one another there because our, our relationship predated our, our joint time there. No, I didn't realize that. What did C think of her portrayal in the book? Because she does play a very predominant uh, role. You know, she has a, a whole section and then the the section called And, which we'll hopefully get to a little bit later, uh, also has her in it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, in fact, I, I think a, a reasonable thing to say about my so-called memoir is it actually has considerably more of my uh, of my partner and my father in it than it does of me. Uh, and it is um, enormously to my partner's credit that she uh, she embraced the entire project and, and really championed it from the get-go, uh, which would, would be to anyone's credit. But you know, the truth is that she is a more private person than I am. And, and at the time that we met, and for that matter, you know, at the time that we married, there was really just absolutely no indication that I would ever go off and write a memoir. <laughs> so it's, it's not like she knew what she was getting into when she said I do. Uh, but, but then when the idea of this book came along, uh, she uh, really did just, just staunchly support it. And she was, for the book as she is for everything, she was my greatest reader and my best editor. And, uh, and most of all, I think just um, had a very deep and, and uh, kind of clear-eyed conviction that this was something I wanted to write and something I should write and that uh, her only her only the only role she wanted in that was 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 to make it as beautiful as as, as she could help me do and and to kind of support my vision for the book and and that's exactly what she did why did you uh, call her just simply uh, the letter C in the book when uh, we we know her name. She is an author who's written a book. You know, it, she her her name's well known. Yes, and in fact, uh, in the acknowledgments of the book, so in, in no way, shape, or form was I trying to uh, conceal her identity. It's not meant to be a secret or or, or you know a, a tease or a clue that that readers are supposed to go solve. Um, you know, the actual answer is that when I first sat down to write. Um, the love story in the book, which is the very first part of it I wrote because it was the most fun part to write. I, um, I actually didn't use any name at all. I just used pronouns. Uh, she was, you know, she and her, which felt exactly right uh, in that, you know, when you are writing, I mean, never mind when you're writing, when you're living a love story, right? Like there was only that one person, you know, they are, they are the center of everything. They're the focus of everything. You don't need to clarify who they are because they're the only thing in your mind and the only thing in your thoughts. And so it felt it felt like exactly the right way to do it, except that, of course, by the time you get, you know, five or six or eight paragraphs uh, into trying to do that, it becomes just grammatically completely untenable. You know, you cannot only use pronouns because pretty soon it's like, well, who is she? Is she like, you know, this woman you've just met who you're falling in love with? Or is it, you know, your sister-in-law or is it your cat? Like, <laughs> just, yeah. it becomes it becomes very confusing on the page. So I knew I couldn't just do that for, you know, 200 pages. 
And yet somehow it felt right to have a slight stand in. I, I think partly, you know, in, in honor of the way that she is somewhat more private than I am, but partly in recognition of the fact that in any memoir, and, and certainly in this memoir, which is which really does operate in service of these broader ideas of exploring the category of loss and exploring the category of discovery. The point wasn't to divulge every detail of my life or every detail of my partner's life. It's not a completist memoir. It doesn't start with my birth. You never even learn very much about my early childhood or vast swaths of my life, let alone my partner's life. And so it felt like just this kind of subtle acknowledgement of like, here is this small piece of a person and it's accurate. You know, everything you, you learn about her, I, I think everyone who's ever met her would agree is a, a very uh, true to life, very faithful portrayal. But it's not, you know, you as a reader, I, I hope you feel you get to know her. I hope you fall in love with her as I did. Same with my dad, right? But, but I'm not under any illusion and nor should any reader be under any illusion that therefore like you have the whole person, right? You have this, this little, bit of her up front and, and, and I get to keep all the rest and she gets to keep all the rest and her family gets to keep all the rest. So it was just a kind of nod in the direction of like, let's be honest about how memoirs work. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for talking to me. Uh, and for listeners who haven't read her book, it's called Lost and Found and it's available pretty much everywhere. I would recommend that you buy a copy. and hosted by me. We're on the web at newsnerdspodcast.com where you can listen to hours of past content, subscribe to our newsletter, and contact us. Or listen wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on community radio station KGVM every other week at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time. They're at kgvm.org or 95.9 FM on your radio. Consider supporting them by going to kgvm.org slash support dash KGVM.